In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable SARS. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Vela 95, Vela Rotat 2719, Cycle 3 of the Ninth Annual. Hey there, CJ. Greetings from interstellar space. Or is it extra-stellar? Some people might say it was still intrastellar, since we are still close enough to key that they might consider it to be in the Von La system. Either way, I'm a long way from Vela right now. The unfortunate part of this trip is that, given the current location of our planets in the system, I am even further away from Hymavina. The orbital path of Key is in the opposite direction from your homeworld, so I would be closer to you, assuming you are there, if I were still on Vela. I think I have always taken the amount of light our star, Von La, gives off for granted when we are at home. During the daytime, it would be enormous in the sky. And even when we're in orbit, it would cast its rays, illuminating everything. Out here, all we can make out is a small point in the distance. Honestly, it's not much larger than Aluda, which means that the only light source we have outside of the Huata is what we generate. All of the rest of the stars are there, of course, billions of them, all shining in the distance. We can see the bands of the galaxy laid out in front of us, but none of it casts light enough to see by. What I'm trying to convey is that it's really dark out here. As I had mentioned, about five annuals after my last transmission, Aaron, Nasu, and I made our way to the launch facilities in CNR to start one of the strangest but most exhilarating school trips we have ever done. We packed up what we would be taking with us in only a few cases, since the Huata is designed for small schools to live on, our quarters are like a small apartment. Nasu has her own room, although it's just about the size of a closet, with enough space for her bed and a few personal belongings. Aaron and I are in the main bedroom, which is only slightly larger. The main area is a common room that has a couch, a few chairs, and a table, just off that is a kitchen area with our food fabricators and counter space, should we want to prepare fresh meals. Being the fleet commander means that I do have one extra room attached to the suite that serves as my personal office. It has a separate door to the outside corridor, so I don't have to disturb the others if I have work that needs to be done. Before we left, we did our best to clean up our house in CNR. We didn't want to have it not be available to us when we returned, so we decided to have Isla house it while we are gone. It's an excellent location for some of the schools she works with for caregiving, and it's way bigger than her flat in the city. She already knows where everything is and has been a part of our lives. The bonus to having her there is that I know all of my plants are being taken care of while I'm gone. Erin packed up and brought most of her terminals and research materials. She has her own office in the science division, so thankfully that didn't take up much space in the quarters. Nasu got to bring along several toys, dolls, and some interesting science experiments that she has been working on. Her room has a small fold-down desk that she can use, so she's been enjoying her little private space. 
It's strange to be leaving so many people behind. Well, it's strange to be doing it as a full school. When I would go out for missions, I knew that I had Aaron and Nasu back home. It was like a part of me was still there, so I was never fully gone. While mom is still in CNR, she has her own life and plans. She said she has no desire to get on another space-bound vessel anytime in the future. Aaron and Nasu are my lifeblood now, and when I'm away from them, I can feel it. Having them here with me on this mission makes me feel whole. It's like we can accomplish anything together. Just before we left, we had a huge going away party with all of our friends at the house. Jonah and Kessa brought their daughter, Penta, over to visit. Mom and Isla cooked a fantastic meal. Javi showed up just in time to eat, of course. He was dressed in his new uniform since he has been selected to be the senior pilot for the VSF-5, the Dolan. His will be a mission similar to Joru's, charting a few of the nearby systems. I don't think the VSA is ready to start making long-distance jumps like we did in the Pramuka, so it's all local systems within a 5-10 to 10 light rotat range. He even brought his sister Geary and her partner Adam with him. Yeah, they're still together. I think Mom may be jealous of Frida because she keeps asking Geary if they had any plans for a mating ceremony. She wants to have more babies around her to dote on. Geary said that instead of going through the whole ceremony, Mom's experience inspired them to investigate adoption. It will be a while before they're ready, though. Towards the end of the evening, Javi and I retired to the back patio to crack open a few sidras and stare up at the stars like we used to back at the academy. We talked about our individual missions and what we may discover out there. Going out to find the source of the anomaly will have me out near Key for a few rotats, and Javi will be traveling roughly seven light rotats away to VGU483689? It's an interesting looking star system that we think has six to seven planets orbiting it. One of them could even support some sort of life. As we sat there, we reflected on everything we had gone through together and the dreams that we would share with each other about finally being able to venture out there and see the stars. Here we were getting ready to do just that. We clinked our bottles together and Javi pointed to the tiny speck that made up his future voyage, saying, See you soon. Joru got back to Vela just about one anul after we left. She was a little sad that she missed the going away party and gave me a lot of grief about not throwing her one before she left. I tried to explain that the VSA didn't really give us that much time. Besides, she wasn't even out there for that long. Javi and I would be gone for a few rotats. After her return, thanks to the PPC station that we set up at Key, we were able to have somewhat laggy conversation. While Una Bibi didn't have any planets that could conceivably support any life forms that we know of, it was still a remarkable system. There were three large gas giants and four other planetoids that looked like they had been ravaged by meteors. Joru said that there were asteroids scattered around the system, making navigation incredibly difficult. The SI still managed to map everything it could see in just under an anul. Once they completed a full analysis, Joru dropped off a beacon at the fifth planet 
out from the star, where they had done most of their refueling, and headed home. The VSA has been praising her as a pione, venturing out into a new frontier. I kindly reminded her that she was not the first Velen to discover and map a new system. She responded with a rather unflattering hand gesture. So that brings us to now, with our life on the Huata. It's been a few annuals now since we popped into existence again just outside of the sphere that we will be searching. The five research vessels that have been out here for a few rotats managed to set up a makeshift station. It's a little more than a docking ring where we can exchange supplies. Navi met with us shortly after we arrived and was much less surprised than she was relieved. Apparently trying to coordinate all of the craft involved was not in her skill set, and she was more than happy to return to her investigation and let someone else oversee the logistics of command. Both Aaron and Nasu have adjusted to living out here much better than I had anticipated. Nasu is in her classes during the day, which are taught by a few different crew members. Her lessons are supplemented by the SI, but only for simple subjects, and Aaron usually helps. I think she monitors Nasu's SI instructions more to tweak how the SI performs its functions, in addition to helping Nasu. There are 34 other children on the Huata, of various ages, so Nasu is far from lonely. The teachers for their classes have organized some special outings and activities in various parts of the vessel to keep all of the kids entertained. Between all of the lounges, gymnasiums, and the pools, there is no lack of things for them to occupy themselves with. Erin has also been keeping herself busy with her new position. The first part of that was collecting everything that the other research vessels recorded and putting it into our upgraded SI. She also brought along upgrades to their systems to make this process easier going forward. After that, it was sending updates to all the various probes that we have situated around the search area and making sure that all of this data is updated and analyzed. Erin is really in her element here. I know she loved teaching, but she always said her place was behind a terminal, writing and playing with code. There have been a few nights where I come back to the cabin late after my shift, only to find that Nasu is over at one of the other cabins with a friend, and Erin is still at her office plugging away at the latest reports. The last time I stopped by, she looked up and asked if I was going to be late for my shift. I replied that if I left then, I would only be early for the next one. It only took moments before it occurred to her what I meant. It would seem that you had an eventful rotat yourself. How long do these closed door sessions usually run? I understand that you must stay quiet about most of the stuff you discuss in them, but I think the council is concerned about what may or may not be being discussed there. Some of them are a little paranoid about the results of an investigation of the Von La system. It's understandable when you think about it. The Mana Empire is made up of several planets and has a battle fleet that is stationed right in our system's backyard. There are some anti-alien groups that have been vocal over there. The concern about decisions being made about a system that isn't part of their empire is troubling, especially if the people of our system are not involved in any of those discussions. The longer the talks go on, the more worried the council gets. 
I know that the VSA has done their best to include HAXA in all of the investigations that they have done with the anomaly. It's one of the reasons why I'm out here to find out more. Since the Haimavina sessions started, HAXA has been a lot quieter about our coordination of information. It hasn't stopped what we're doing, of course, because we want to know what happened just as much as anyone else. I guess what I'm getting at is more of the question, should we be worried about what's going on over there? I know you can't give any details, but it would be nice to relay to some of the contacts that I still have at the council that everything going on there is just informational, and we shouldn't expect some sort of invasion force. Honestly, it sounds like there are enough internal issues going on with your Samcoma and house structure that something like our little system doesn't deserve all that much attention. I shouldn't be surprised that dissidents and protesters are something that no civilized culture can ever get away from. Even before the Alithians got involved in Haimavina, there were protests and kidnappings. I do have a question, though. If there's such a dislike of the house structure that has been around for so long, is there anything that these protesters think could be changed to make things better? What are their demands? If your houses are already supporting the communities in their areas and working to make their areas of influence better, I don't understand what their complaint is. That is the whole point of a protest, right? To show that the people want change? I could see working towards taking down or disgracing some of the less reputable houses, but I would think that the dissidents would want to work with the other houses to accommodate those changes. Change doesn't come from violence. I'm willing to bet that if all of these protesters were to band together, they could create a new house and work within the system to enact the change that they want to see. Even better, if a house is doing their business in their own area, on their own planet, and it's not causing any problems for someone on another planet, then who cares? Just like our council for the regions it supports, if someone doesn't agree with the policies, they can vote to remove who enacted them. If we have a corporation that is dabbling in questionable practices, other businesses will step in and either provide a better product or work within the rules set about by the Council for Corporate Corruption. Have any of the houses sought out the protest groups to find out what it is that they actually want? You shouldn't feel bad about getting sick while in microgravity. I've been working in space for so many rotats now that switching between various levels of gravity has become second nature. But in all my time, I have only ever seen one person that didn't vomit on at least one of their first few experiences. That guy was a professional splash tip player who spends most of his time in the water and working out. Since we use a few methods of underwater training for low gravity situations, it didn't surprise anyone that he would adapt well. The game that the kids played sounded fun though. Did you and Bjorn get the chance to play at all or just float around and try to avoid any random bodily fluids? I'm sure that if you did experience any interaction with unwanted liquids in your weightless adventure, that it would be that much easier to clean up with your new hair like it is now. I'll admit, it was a little bit of a shock to see the fresh look on you. Your hair is only a cosmetic part of you, and what makes you a beautiful person is not in 
or what you wear, or how you style or color your outward appearance. It's in how you hold yourself and present yourself to others. So as soon as you started talking and looking into the camera, I knew in an instant that it was you. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't send along any photos of the blue color, though. I would have loved to see you in a more Velen style of coloring. I am imagining it to be close to Kessa's scale coloring. She has a dark blue sheen to her scales. Could you imagine if they had to shave off your hair and the color went all the way down to your head? It would have been a true Velen look. Hopefully, you were able to get your stylist to clean up Nikki's mess before Astra's graduation. Although, I bet she would have been able to pick you out of the crowd easier when she was giving her speech, which was perfect, by the way. What she said really resonated with me. I feel the same way about so many of the friends I have gathered into my school along the way. Javi and Jonah are my brothers in every way, regardless of our blood ties. You and Bjorn are as much a part of my school as Aaron or Nasu. We are all proud of Astra for accomplishing such a great achievement. Does she have a plan of what fields she wants to further her studies in? Given how close your family is and all of the various protectors you have grown up with and raised in some cases, I am sure that Astra is aware of how much everyone wants to keep her safe. You can let her know that Aaron and I consider her one of our own as well. And because of that, she should know that if Galen ever hurts her in any way, it may cause a large interstellar incident as her extended school on Vela would happily rush to her aid. I'm not saying that Galen would ever do something like that, but maybe let him know that we have our eyes on him. <laughs> Depending on how long I'm out here near Key, I may end up following the orbital path around to be closer to Haimovina, so it wouldn't take me long to get there. Of course, I would have to find time in the busy schedule we are trying to keep. When we arrived here, as I mentioned, the other research vessels were almost at a point of competing on how best to perform the search of the area. There was a serious lack of coordination, and it's one of the things that drove Navi crazy. Each craft would start chasing signals they intercepted, and then only report back after they were already underway. Since the anomaly shut down, many of them were just making up their own search patterns and hoping to discover something. Each of them, while officially sanctioned by the VSA, was still autonomous in its command. They had their own ways of doing things and have been doing them for a few rotets now. Part of my first order of business was to break them of these old habits and get everyone to start working together. Seeing how things were being run out here, I can now understand why it's taken us so long to find anything. This isn't a complaint about Navi, of course. She was doing the best she could. Logistical support just isn't in her skill set, which is why she was so happy when we arrived. We now have three VSF vessels and five research craft on station here, and Aaron has been analyzing all of the data they have collected so far. We are using that to create a more consistent search pattern for this area. With what we have already collected and the new coordinated effort, we have already covered a third of the area. Aaron has been constantly adjusting the SI to manage everything that has been coming in and targeting the best potential locations to continue the search. 
Unfortunately, since we are still out here and still searching, that means we haven't found anything yet. I know deep down that we are in the right area and should find something soon. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a feeling I get, like there's something out there. For all I know, the source could be right next to the Huata, and I'm just missing something. Naturally, as soon as we find something, I will let you know. May the waves guide us. Jason, 65. Log entry, Heimavina 95, 2400. Age of Radiance. Hey, Jason. Well, you once told little Nasu that you would show her the galaxy, and it looks like you're off to a great start. You're making the rest of us parents look bad. <laughs> I would have loved to see Nasu's face when she first saw Vela from the Huata. There isn't anything more precious than the pure wonderment on a child's face. I never get enough of the look on Nikki's face every time he sees Haimavina from the observation deck. His bright gray eyes sparkle, and his grin warms my soul. He points out the continents, the cities, and the geographical locations as they slowly spin below. And I always ask him, where were you born? And he points out Stromsheim. And then I ask him, where is home? And he always hugs Bjorn and I, and says, with you guys, because home is where the people I love are. I'm trying to imagine what it must be like to be one of those kids on the Huata. It must be like having your friends nearby all of the time. It's probably a lot like when my whole family gets together. We do not have quite the 34 kids running around, but it's getting close. I'm sure you know how loud that many kids get in a confined space, <laughs> but I bet it's great for them. Thank you for the tour of the ship. That was really cool. Nikki loved it, and he kept asking me to pause the vid so he could see everything. He especially liked Nasu thanking him for her Farhum plushie. He was so excited that she received it in time for your big trip. She is so adorable. <laughs> he also said you need more pictures, so I've attached some drawings he made for you to decorate your office. Okay, if you open the first attachment, the drawing is of you and Nikki standing on an undiscovered planet. See? He even drew his shoulder-length hair. He's a shockingly good artist, right? The next drawing is of you both flying around in a Guardian Stiletto 7. In case you can't tell, Nikki thinks you are cool. He also thinks his Uncle Kai is cool too, so the bar is set pretty low. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that Aaron and Nasu took to living on a spacecraft like, well, I was going to say a Fiska to water, which I guess still works. <laughs> Trust me. I know how important it is to have your partner close by. It makes a stressful day so much better when you can just shut off the world, return to the heart, and wrap yourself around them. That's what Bjorn says about having me around. <laughs> I think it's great that they could join you, and Erin is thriving in her new position. I was glad to hear that Jorah returned safely to Vela, and the great news about Javi. Wow, he's now going off to be an explorer. That's so exciting. Have you heard from him? Or did he meet some gorgeous alien like I did and decide to stay? <laughs> In your last message, you mentioned that you felt like you were close to the anomaly source. Were your instincts correct? 
I'm fascinated to know that you are so close to solving the mystery. Thank Linnea for Aaron, because it sounds like Navi's team would still be treading water without her and the rest of your team. Speaking of the anomaly, the Sam Comas Von Law Anomaly Committee has finally exhausted their witness list, but remains in closed-door deliberations. Rumors suggest that they are stalling until they hear from the VSA. In fact, during a HOXA press conference, the spokesperson said they had sent some information to the research group at Key, but they never got a response. Now that you explained the disorganization before your arrival, I wonder if there are HOXA messages buried deep in someone's inbox. Regardless, HOXA has been going through a reorganization, which is more likely why they've been quiet as of late. You probably have not heard, since you are out in the black, but the director of HOXA retired. According to my old boyfriend Jeremy, she finalized her new position with Hagen Defense Industries before making the official announcement. As deputy director, Jeremy should have been the top choice to replace her. But Speaker Helena Uklin appointed the Director of Operations, Moria Isaacson, as the new director. Not long after the announcement, Uncle Helgi and I met Jeremy for pints at the Marina Bar in Hopnina. Jeremy told us that he always figured his appointment to Deputy Director was meant to smooth the merger between ECAL and HOXA. Jeremy was a Chief Technology Officer at ECAL at the time. And what better way to ease the ECAL staff concerns than appoint a well-liked senior ECAL leader to the HOXA executive office? Jeremy was feeling sorry for himself after losing out on the director appointment because he is brilliant and well-respected in the spacing community. He told us at HOXA he was still considered a Vithrea in some circles, which I learned is a really unflattering reference to Heimavinen's. When I asked him about the new director, he shrugged, and said that she was a smart, capable, registered traditionalist. <laughs> and then he and Helgi complained about ECAL and HOXA and the people they knew who should not have gotten promoted. Like I've mentioned, Jeremy and Helgi go way back and were in the same ECAL astronaut cohort. After a couple of pints, Helgi finally asked Jeremy the question we both assumed was the real reason he asked us to meet us for drinks. So, I take it you heard about the open board seat at House News Park. Jeremy raised both of his eyebrows and said, Actually, no. I came here to get drunk and complain to you guys. Are we having that conversation? Jeremy took Helgi's offer and resigned from Hoxha a couple months ago. He's very excited to move back to Heimavina and be closer to his family and kids. In broader news, Speaker Helena Uglin strongly condemned the anti-House extremist violent actions. And she said it didn't matter what their reasons were, because in resorting to violence, they were no longer protesters, but terrorists. And the Empire does not tolerate terrorists. The extremist leaders quickly backpedaled and also condemned the violent protests. It seemed to be cooling down until a reporter dug up some comments Helena made when she first got into politics. There were some tame anti-house comments, but the derogatory things she said about the Veronians and Yasnians got her in very hot water. I've told you about planetary prejudice and the disgusting insults people let slip about the Veronians, but hearing it from the person who is supposed to represent the Mana Empire was shocking. Helena was eviscerated by the media 
including by Ghanamean pundits who said they were embarrassed by her comments. It got worse when a minor but xenophobic political party gave her their support and said that they agreed with what she said. Ooh. For a while, the news cycle seemed to be spinning downward for Helena. Several leaders in her own party dodged reporters' questions or said that they had not heard the old interview. Her office put out a sincere apology and said that she had grown a lot since those comments were made. A couple weeks later, during a press conference, a reporter asked Oli to comment on what Helena said about the Veronians. And Oli rolled his eyes and said, I'm not going to comment on something that was said years ago. That's only ever got me divorced. <laughs> Oli was praised for his humor and willingness to move on. The story melted off the front page for a few weeks until Trade Minister Gustav Mortensen was caught on a hot mic slandering Heimavenens. <laughs> you may have heard what he said because it was played everywhere. Mortensen tried to defend himself by claiming his comments were taken out of context. No one came to his rescue. He tried to pivot to claiming that he only said it in the heat of the moment, but JCN obtained published private messages that he had sent to his staff in the past that mirrored the bigoted comments. Huh. Mortensen was forced to resign. Ah! <laughs> Sipa! <laughs> in order to calm the waters, Helena appointed August Riven, a Heimavenen, as a new trade minister. Until recently, August had been the Minister of Commerce for Lulea, a position he has held back when I was working at the Land Economic and Trade Division. I've never met him, but people who know him say August is a decent guy, if maybe a little surly. This will be good for the trade talks, because it sounds like August will actually get things done. Anyway, while all of this was going on, the traditionalists in the Ghanama Samkoma quietly began reversing policies that seemed to target non-Ghanameans, like restricting access to resources, ALMA income benefits, and interplanetary work visas. Then, they went after off-planet companies and house corporations by changing economic policies. Ghanama's economy is interesting because they're incredibly self-sufficient and can easily survive without interplanetary trade. But, at the same time, they are the empire's largest manufacturer of exporter goods. Haimavina became a new stream of income for them, despite the cost of early post-discovery interstellar travel. But almost 50 years of perfecting infrastructure and supply chains has Ghanama's economy booming better than ever. Add the upcoming trade with Vela, and Ghanama will be the richest planet in the empire. Here's the punchline, though. While those big manufacturers may be owned by Ghanameans, they're not staffed by Ghanameans. If they cut off the interplanetary labor, who's going to work there? No surprise, a lot of people are angry. <laughs> After the attack on Scion Karina Erickson and the policy changes, House Erickson was the first corporation to relocate their headquarters off of Ghana. They issued a statement that they were saddened to leave their homeworld, but they needed to protect their family and employees. House Erickson's industry is hospitality, and for what it sounded like, their huge satellite office in Alondra 
was everyone's preferred place to work, as it's located near the illustrious city of Vasa. Janine and I ran into Karina at the house library after their announcement, and we offered our support. I know her struggles, as I've also survived an attack. Karina held my hand and thanked me. And after a few hugs, we asked her to share some of those fierce fighting techniques with us. Karina's face broke into a smile, and with a wink to me, said, Well, us grandmas have to know how to protect our babies. And I told her I wasn't a grandmother. And Janine threw her arm around me and said, You can deny it all you want, but you did marry my dad, which makes you the grandma to my kids. (laughs) I shook my head as the two of them started laughing at me. (laughs) For the record, Bjorn's grandkids call me Mama CJ instead of Grandma. Bjorn thinks it's adorable, and I do love doting on all these kids. And as you can imagine, my family loves to make fun of me. I've received so many grandmother gifts as jokes. Even my mom made one of her silly t-shirts so I can wear out when I'm with Bjorn's grandkids. Hang on. Look at this. It reads, No, I'm their grandma. (laughs) Mom is such a comedian. Um, You can stop laughing now. No, seriously, I can hear you from here. Okay, I'll wait. (laughs) Speaking of time... With this year being 2400, we've entered in the Age of Radiance. The name was chosen to convey to history that this will be the century which Mana reformed the Empire and shined. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's a little silly. There was a huge ceremony at the Samcoma Memorial Park on Alondra, where the Haimavala Prime Memorial was rededicated to those who had died during the Siddhasanda, instead of saying the entire planet perished. Once the solemn ceremony ended there, each planetary senior minister led the walk to the Samcoma entrance gallery, accompanied by their planet's banners. Once inside, the new floor seal was revealed, with Haimavina listed among the planets as part of the Empire. The planet's banners were hoisted to the walls, and the coolest part was the keynote address and dedication speech was given by the historian who discovered the initial signals from Braddett Station. We actually did not attend. I saw the highlights on the nets because we were preoccupied with the twins getting ready for their Calamar Prep graduation. In the weeks leading up to the graduation, the twins had grueling final exams, capstone presentations, university interviews, and class parties. I swear, their schedule was more packed than my usual work week. They both graduated with honors, even though we gave them a lot of freedom this last year to go out and spend time with their friends. They're good girls, and they deserve to be teenagers. Because Calamar Prep is a hybrid academic environment spread across three schools, the ceremony was more of a celebration for the entire class's achievements. Instead of one top student giving the class speech, the top students of each school narrated an impressive interactive vid with student interviews and a highlight reel of the big events the class experienced. After the students received their diplomas, we all made our way out to the tented Futbolta field, where the school hosted a large reception for the students and their families. This gave students a chance to reminisce with their professors, coaches, and of course, 
spend time with the classmates one last time as Calamar students. The twins spend most of their free summer hanging out with their friends by the pool or playing vid games in the game room. Nikki was always very helpful and offered to bring them fresh towels or the snacks I had made for them and their friends. One afternoon, Nikki offered to carry a tray of sparkling apple juice out to the pool deck. The tray was heavy, but he insisted. I watched him carefully balance the tray and set it on the outside table. And then one of Callista's friends got out of the pool in a tiny yellow bikini and bounced over to him. She accepted the glass of juice he offered to her and thanked him by kissing him on the forehead with a giggle. Pretty soon, Nikki was surrounded by bikini-clad teenage girls giving him hugs, tossling his hair, and receiving the occasional kiss on the cheek. It finally dawned on me why he had been so helpful. I could barely contain my laughter when Nikki returned with an empty tray and a huge smile spread across his face. <laughs> Time flies, though, and the twins have finished their first quarter at Skagen Tech, and they are thriving. Skagen Tech is Bjorn's alma mater, so naturally the twins wanted to go where Bjorn attended. The university is in a great town called Huviana in the foothills of the Yarva Mountains. It's a short ride away, but the long drive is completely worth it because you travel through these amazing valleys lined with apple orchards and lush wheat fields. The twins' dorms face the mountains, and I swear, every time we vid message the girls, they're coming back from the slopes. <laughs> Kalista is studying marketing, and Ragna is studying economics. Because they both took so many advanced classes at Calamar, they tested out of a lot of their beginning courses and are on track to graduate the same year as Astra. Needless to say, the twins love pointing that out to their big sister. My girls may have my names, but they definitely get their competitiveness from the Venstrasses. <laughs> Astra loved her first year at Stromsheim Polytech and is excelling in her second year as a business management and pre-law student. She recently got an internship with the district court as a clerk, which she secured all on her own, and we are very proud of her. Needless to say, our house on Veron is pretty quiet nowadays, with all the girls away at university. The twins come home every other weekend, but it's sad to walk by their room and not hear the music blaring or their laughter throughout the house. But I have my girls here at the state right now for the St. Linnea holidays, and it's so great to have them all close. We got back to Haimavina a few nights ago, and we landed so late in the evening we didn't want to wake anyone up when we arrived at the estate. So we quietly headed to our apartments. The next morning I woke up and saw the grounds were covered with a beautiful layer of fresh snow. And I knew I only had a little while before all the little kids would be begging to go out and play outside. Bjorn was still soundly sleeping off his anxiety drugs, so I decided to go find a cafe. On my way to the kitchen, I ran into a tall man in lounge clothes heading out of Astra's apartment. The man froze when he saw me, and then quickly said, Um, good morning, Auntie CJ. I didn't know you and Uncle B were back. And then I recognized Galen's big hazel eyes. Mono men hit their growth spurt at the end of their teenage years. Galen, now 18, has grown from a skinny kid into a large, muscular man, nearly the same size as Andy's twin brothers. 
Galen clearly felt awkward. And I smiled at him, and I said, Galen, I didn't even recognize you. Give me a hug, sweetie. Galen breathed a sigh of relief and gave me a huge hug. And I tried hard not to giggle, because I was reminded of the time that Harik ran into my mom coming out of that very same apartment. <laughs> like my mom, I was not surprised, because Astra already told me and Bjorn that Galen spends several nights a week with her. Galen told me that he's been working part-time at his parents' brewery between classes as a cellar rat, which means lots of heavy manual labor, cleaning out fermenters, and pulling spent grain from the mash tun. Astra must have heard us talking because she opened her door and threw her arms around me. It was so nice to hug my first baby. Astra has also grown in the last few months. She's not as tall as Grandma Vera, but she's definitely tall. Bjorn says that she can almost pass as a younger version of Andy's grandmother, Alora, now. Over cafe in the kitchen, they told me about their favorite courses. And when Astra spoke, Galen held her hand, and he looked at her with so much love. It was adorable. I worry that my daughter will break the sweet guy's heart. <laughs> when Bjorn joined us, Astra immediately jumped from her chair, like she would when she was little, and threw her arms around her dad. Nothing has changed. No one exists when Bjorn's around. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words you said about my hair. As you can see, my flats are back. Bjorn's nose has completely healed, with no sign it was ever broken. Not that that stops him from examining his face anytime he's near a mirror. He also added a facial enrichment mask to his daily morning routine because he swears there's a little scarring. <laughs> I joked with him that since I entered his life, he has been tossed on the floor, split his lip, got arrested, and broke his wrist and nose. He just said, Eh, Romana, if we aren't bleeding, how do we know we're alive? Then he winked at me and kissed the scar on my palm where we cut our hands during our wedding. That's my goofball. <laughs> Tonight, Bjorn and I are on kid duty, because everyone else is out doing a Little Linnea holiday pub crawl around Old Town Stromsheim. We're okay staying in with all the little kids. We're planning a cookie decorating party, and then we'll be launching floating candles into the sky. That will be followed with warm apple cider in front of the big screen as we watch their favorite holiday vids. Well, maybe the Huata will be close enough in rotation for you all to see the lights from the Mira Light Festival around the planet as they drift into the sky in celebration of Linnea's gift. Well, may Linnea light your way through the dark. Love, CJ, age 66. Log entry, Vela 96. Vela Rotat 2720, cycle 8 of the 7th annual. Hey, hey, CJ. The Huata has really become quite the home away from home as of late. I, along with many of my crew members, count ourselves lucky to have our schools with us while we're out here. Honestly, it feels only slightly different than being back on Vela. I have my normal job of running operations for the fleet, 
And when my shift is done, I go back to my quarters and have dinner with Aaron and Nasu. We talk about our cycle and occasionally take in some of the recreational opportunities on board. What I do miss is being able to visit with our land-based friends and extended school. We do lots of video calls with mom, even if they are sometimes a little laggy, and lots of messages with others. But it's not quite the same. I should be more used to it since I've been on extended missions for most of my career. But there's something different about having part of my school with me and some of them away. What helps is living and working with the rest of the crew. It's like living in a small town, really. You get to know nearly everyone on board. Of course, it's my job to know everyone on all three vessels. But on the Huata, we're all one big school. Everyone here knows all the ins and outs of everyone else. And it's almost impossible to keep secrets about your personal life. I mean that in a good way, of course. If the logistics officer is having a difficult cycle, everyone knows it. And we all go out of our way to try and make their lives better. It's nice that we have fostered a relationship with each crew member so that they feel like they have the support that they need while we are so far away from home. There are even times when the three of us will decide to have our dinner out in the main lounge instead of in our quarters. The tables there are large and we sit with the other crew members to interact and find out how everyone else is doing. Some of the more creative crew members have even started having specialty dinner nights. The food fabricators can usually create meals directly, but our security chief has decided to experiment with different dishes. She will have the fabs spin up the ingredients, and then she uses the galley kitchen to cook massive meals for everyone. Those are the nights that usually draw out a lot of people from the cabins. It also makes many of the people who are off shift from her jealous because they only end up with leftovers. I have added the drawings that Nikki did to the rotation in my desktop photo frame. It's a two-sided screen that allows the image to be displayed for anyone in my office and myself. They have only been there a cycle, and I've already gotten compliments and questions about them. Most people ask if it's something that Nasu has drawn, and I happily reply that it's actually from my nephew on Haimavina. One crew member asked if the stiletto was a new model of craft the VSA was working on. I rolled my eyes and replied with a solid, I wish. Unfortunately, Javi is still out on his exploration of VGU483689. We knew that he'd be gone for a while, so I'm not really worried about him yet. He will probably be radio silent for a long time still. One of the mission parameters that all Explorer missions follow is to set up a communications beacon in each system they travel to. It has a PPC relay that communicates with Tanga. Since Tanga has become kind of a comms hub for our system, each VSF vessel is equipped with a PPC node that is paired with Tanga. Once installed in a system, it will link up and allow for faster communication than standard broadcasts. Last I heard, we haven't had a ping from his system yet, so they are probably still evaluating the system for the best location. It's funny you should mention all of the messages that Haxa had sent to the research team here. When I took over command, the Huata became the communication and coordination authority for the team out here. As such, all of the different research vessels transferred their entire communication queues to me. Most of it was a huge backlog of messages from all over the system and from Haxa. 
Since each vessel operated independently, they all had copies of the same messages. Some of them had replies from different craft, and all of it was a complete mess. Most of them said that they expected the VSA would be handling any of the transmissions of importance, and so they tended to ignore anything that wasn't interesting to them. It was a nightmare trying to go through everything and find out what was missed. I'm not going to lie, CJ. The idea of airlocking a few specific communications people did cross my mind. Thankfully, I have had over a Rotat to get things in order. I make it sound like I did all the work here, but I didn't. I have a team on board that is doing an incredible job of sifting through messages and only forwarding up the ones that I need to be aware of. Some of those were the HAXA transmissions you mentioned and I have been working with the VSA to sort them out and reply with the information we have on hand. I know it's probably a little late, especially for the investigation that they were doing, but I hope the information is still useful. I wish that Jeremy had been appointed the head of HOXA, as I'm sure he would be able to help me sort all of these messages and replies to better inform the officials there on what's going on. But it sounds like he might just be better off in the private sector. I'm glad that Helgi was able to find him a good spot. With all of the new innovations they are working on at House Noofspark, I'm sure that Jeremy's experience will go a long way. Any chance he might still want to sort through these replies? From what you have explained about Helena, I'm not at all surprised by the comments that were dredged up from her past. I'm sure that the only thing that has changed in her latest rotats of running things is the ability to keep those sorts of viewpoints better hidden from the public eye. I really have to ask, though, if there is such a division in the Empire, as you described, between the different planets, houses, and even citizen views, is it even in the various planets' best interests to stay involved in the Empire? It sounds like places like Yasna, Viron, and to a certain extent, Haimavina, might just be better off splitting off and forming their own government. I can't imagine at this point that Haimavina would still want to be involved with a government that looks down on it so much. Your planet has thrived on its own for so long that I doubt you even need the resources offered by Alondra. Or you could at least ally with some of the more persecuted planets and form your own Samcoma. I am glad to hear that the trade talks are resuming under this new August Riven, and that places like Yasna and Viron will be benefiting from an increase in trade through Haimavina. Due to Mom no longer being on the council, and my being out on the pantant end of the system, I don't have as much insight into the details of the trade negotiations as I had before. Most of what I hear now is what's available on the wideband. I guess I'm not as important to the council for trade stuff anymore. That, or they think I'm too busy coalating correspondence and organizing movements of this fleet. It's not near as fun as flying. Most of what I do now is just sit on the main bridge and read a terminal. You know that I would never laugh at you for being as old as someone like Bjorn. <laughs> you are my sister and practically the same age as me. While I may be considered middle-aged on Vela, on Haimavina, I think we would practically be children. Those kids just have the coolest mom-adjacent person in their life, which is exactly what they need. 
The shirt, however, is ridiculous. I don't know about you, but if someone gave me something like that, I may have to consider accidentally leaving it in an airlock and introducing it to space travel. Ooh, it could be a science experiment to see how different fabric types handle the rigors of outer space. You like science, right? Please send along some congratulations from all of us here to both of the girls on their graduation. I forwarded the photos you sent me to mom, and she spent a solid quarter tide gushing about them and how proud she was. She also marveled at how big they are now. I guess in her mind, they are still those little pennies that she saw when she was there. Here they are already studying fields that, no doubt, will have them leading your house in no time. Marketing and economics? Those are some tough subjects. Of course, you still have all of that to look forward to as Nikki grows up as well. I do wonder if his recent little adventure you described may have been a little bit influenced by coming into close contact with Javi. When Javi was there visiting, you didn't by chance leave him alone with Nikki for any extended period of time, did you? I know that Javi would say that Nikki's behavior reminds him of me back in our early cycles in classes together. But those would be vicious lies, and since Javi isn't here to say anything, I will be blaming him for this. Well, CJ, I have some interesting news on my mission out here near Key. I say interesting because we're not quite sure if it's good, bad, or just plain weird. We have spent the last rotat analyzing every fellow of space in our search area and haven't found anything really of note. There's a lot of random space debris, which you wouldn't really expect, but it's out there. Just bits of stray rocks floating around. Oh, and three small asteroids that are just far enough away from Key that I wonder if they are even in orbit of the dwarf planet, or just hanging in space. Since we had exhausted all of normal space search patterns and found nothing of interest, my science officer, Drawl, thought that maybe a closer look at the asteroids would lead to something. Since we're running low on other options, we gave it a shot. The first two chunks of rock were exactly that, rock. Well, rock, ice, and other bits of irradiated minerals that you would expect from some debris this far out in a system. We took the opportunity to set up some small mining platforms on them to extract resupply minerals and allow Navi's team to do some side projects on studying long-term rock formations in space. They were happy for the distraction from search patterns. Navi took a special interest in the third asteroid, though. According to her initial scans, it didn't match the mineral makeup of the other two at all, and contained a number of elements that even the SI couldn't identify. Between Navi and the SI, I had thought that the two of them knew every element under Von La. So it was a little bit of a surprise to me that they were both baffled. We decided to send down a ground team to take a closer look. Since this particular asteroid was about the size of all three of our flag vessels put together, it took about four annuals to sweep the entire rock. This is where things start to get into the weird category. Yeah, weirder than some crazy new elements. One of the teams discovered a large crater that looked as if the asteroid suffered an impact 
from some other piece of debris. This would be pretty normal for deep space, except that on the edge of the crater, there was a fairly large rock formation that seemed very out of place. Navi had explained that if an impact had actually occurred, there is no way that any formation like what we were seeing would still be standing, and that the scarring around the crater would still contain bits and pieces of whatever hit. And this one didn't have any of that. When the team on site moved in for a closer examination, they found a small panel on the formation that definitely was not natural. Not that any of this could be considered natural. When Nola, one of the team, approached the panel, a small light came on, and she said it felt like it was looking right at her. After a brief moment, the light went off, and the formation began to shake and rumble. The rock in front of her opened up and revealed a set of doors that had intricate swirling patterns engraved on them. At the bottom of each door was some lettering, or what appeared to be lettering. The first was in a language that none of us could recognize. Scans of it have been fed into the SI, and it's processing it. The second was in Velen. At least, Velen-like. It's written in an incredibly old script that dates back many thousands of rotats. The only way we even knew that is because it was in the SI database. It said, Knowledge is not always worth the cost. The doors in the formation didn't have any visible way to open them, and nothing else has happened since the initial contact with them. I instructed the team on site to set up a few scanning and monitoring platforms around the formation and to leave the area as soon as they were done. Other teams are searching the rest of the asteroid for anything else similar to what was found. Since then, we have been running every sort of scan we can from both the platforms and from orbit of the asteroid. Aaron believes that we can use the data that the SI has collected from all of the various transmissions from the anomaly to analyze the language that was engraved on the door and help us decode or translate it. The downtide to this is that even with all three of our vessels churning away at the processing for this, it's still going to be a while before we have any results. This means that we're now back to waiting. We're pretty confident that this has to be the source of all of those rogue transmissions and interference, since there's nothing else that could be considered weird anywhere else in the area. So all three of the VSF vessels and the research craft are now parked around this one rock while we try and figure out what the next strokes are. Which means that my cycles are now filled with conference calls with the council and the VSA and getting back to that huge message queue while the smart people do all of their work. Oh, those calls with the people back on Vela? Yeah, that has been its own nightmare. The VSA is trying to take a slower approach to gaining access to whatever might be behind those doors, and the council is being very impatient. There were even some requests to plant charges on the formation and blow it up to see what could be underneath. 
Most of the time, I'm just sitting on a conference call while officials from one side or the other sit and argue about what to do. If I didn't have a camera on my face the whole time, I would be tempted to just mute and go play a game in the background. Ooh, maybe I can have Aaron whip up some sort of virtual interface where it looks like I'm on the call, but really, I'm just barely listening. As it stands now, some cooler heads have prevailed, and we are going with the VSA option of waiting for further results from the scans before we declare some sort of war with a rock, or whatever might be inside it. The council has not yet decided on what information is going to be released to HAXA yet. I am sure that it's forthcoming, and they have been really good about keeping your world in the loop on what's going on here. I think that the thing that has them more concerned is the presence of a Velen language on the door. From a certain point of view, it could be considered that our planet was involved in this anomaly. And I can confirm that we have not been. I get why the council is being a little more hesitant. I'm only telling you this because I know that you will keep it in confidence. Once we know more information, I am sure that Haxa will be involved. Since we have an overabundance of spare time now, while we wait, I have authorized some long overdue travel back home for anyone who needs it. Not too long ago, the travel times between various places in our system would have prevented such a luxury, since it would take multiple annuals to get from one place to another. Now we have tasked one of the VSF vessels with shuttling personnel back and forth from our location to Vela. I'm giving those that are interested in rotating out to other assignments the chance to check out other opportunities. There aren't many, of course, since everyone is curious about what we're about to discover. But some of the crew have hinted that the new exploration missions that are going out would be more in line with what they want to do. This will also give people a chance to take some vacation time, since there isn't much for the non-sciency types to do. We have tried to allow for time off on all of our vessels, but nothing really beats stepping off the craft and swimming in more natural bodies of water. I love the Huata, but sometimes you just need to get out and stretch. I almost volunteered for one of the ground crew teams just to get out. I didn't though, because I wasn't the only one with this idea and there was a waiting list for people that just wanted to explore. We are actually in one of the groups that is slated to head back to Vela in the next few cycles. Don't worry, I have no plans to miss one of the greatest discoveries that Vela is going to make since we discovered the lander that fell from space so long ago. Aaron got word from Isla that Mom wasn't feeling that great, and she requested that, if we could make it back, she would like to see all three of us. It's been almost two rotats since we left, so we are way overdue for a trip back. While we do have those video calls, they just aren't the same as seeing her in person. I know that Nasu is excited to get back and tell all of her friends about her adventures in space, and she wants to see her grandma as well. Maybe I will see if we can get a shirt made up for Nasu to give to mom. The plan is for us to head out as soon as the VSF-4 gets back from its latest trip. Then, a six-cycle trip home. We will be there for another ten cycles and then head back out here. All of this is dependent on the analysis taking a long time to uncover anything. If something happens between then and now, then 
All of it could change. Aaron assures me that we still have a few annuals of processing yet to go through, so cross your thumbs for us to have a nice visit back home. I am sure that by the time you get this and send something back, that we will have some amazing news to convey. May the waves guide us. Jason, 66. You have been listening to an episode of The Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason is played by Steve Petricelli. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan, Samantha, and Dr. Layla. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with a lot of fun features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our cafe, Bjor, or Sidris funds, it's always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at the Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for open chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. These versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.